Okay, welcome back to episode number two of the Snapback Chronicles. On the first episode, if you didn't watch it or listen to it, you have to go do that before you tune into this one. But I'll do a quick recap. We started at the beginning. We started at uh, we started from buying Snapbacks on eBay. Jesse's pop up in New York with Hoboken Haberdashery to some of the first original Snapback digs, the new dig in New York and Brooklyn, and then the first LA dig, and we left off at the first mega dig. Mega dig. spot where we left off it was a major cliffhanger dude people were like yo okay so where i can't remember exactly yeah so i'll I'll get it we we left off where you found the dig you did a big dig and then you drove around and you found another dig but they were closed that day so you went home and you couldn't fucking sleep all night back at the hotel because you're so oh yeah so the rose bowl was the next day yeah did the rose bowl made a bunch of cash went back monday morning after the rose bowl yeah. And uh, so let's get into it. <laughs> okay. So we went back Monday morning, North Hollywood. Um, I mean, I could say the name of the place, right? It doesn't, it's done. Is it done? Yeah, it's done, dude. Been done <laughs> for years. Okay. So anyways, guys, the place is called Eclipse Specialties and in North Hollywood. I'm sure a bunch of you probably have heard of it because it went on to be a much bigger thing, but we were there at the very beginning. We were the first guys. So you came with us, Drew. Yeah. Me, you, and, and Daniel. And we went in and we asked to talk to the owner. So this polite young lady at the front brought us to the back. But I remember, let's paint this picture. So I remember walking in, obviously we said this in the last episode, but the whole frontage of that store had all the logos. What was it you, a store? The frontage of the warehouse is like a big fucking building. Yeah, but they had a retail section. Yeah, they had a small retail yeah, store. So it still building. was like, it still had a parking lot. It had all of the logos, Starter, Sports Specialties, Logo 7, all like painted on the wall. Yeah. Um, outside. Like a lot of those old sports stores did. A lot of any stores, Dragon stores would have like Levi's stuff painted on the Dickies. side. Yeah. yeah, all that kind of shit. You walk in, there's like a counter, a wall with hats on the left that was all like new stuff. The floor was covered in racks. Pretty fucking messy place at the time. Like it wasn't it was a clean, very messy. nicely clean store at all. No Racks of clothing, which obviously we're like thinking there's going to be stuff in there. We weren't sure if there was vintage in there or not. But then all along the back corner, he had like those six foot fold up tables. Yes. 
And there was fucking, they were just full of hats and they were at like, there was like handwritten signs or something that was like five bucks a piece or two for 10. I don't know what it was, but there was like, they were cheap on the tables. They were fairly cheap. I don't think they were like, they weren't super cheap because if they were super cheap, we would have gone way cheaper, but I'll get to that point. Cause that was one of my first big fumbles in the snapback <laughs> game. Yeah. So, okay. So obviously we go in, we see them, we know there's hats there and then it's like, okay, this is big. We got to, uh, we got to speak to the owner. Yeah. So they bring us to the back and we meet Gene, the owner, older gentleman, very extremely nice guy. Uh, went on to have a great relationship with him. We actually ended up calling him Gramps. That was our nickname for him. And his son-in-law, Kevin. And um, there was another guy that was kind of like the point person there, but I forget his name. Um, anyways, so we sit down with Gene and what are you guys looking for? Well, we want snapbacks. And he was like, snapbacks? And that, this is an interesting point because he was like, oh, you mean adjustables? Because at this point in time, no one was really calling them snapbacks. They were known in the industry. If you're in the hat game or the sports game, licensed apparel game, they were known as adjustable hats as opposed to fitted hats. Um, but we called them snapbacks. Yeah, so snapback, snapbacks is a term adopted, a nickname adopted by the community of people that brought them back as a commodity. Yeah, they were not called snapbacks back in the day. When these hats were on shelves at Foot Locker, at your local sports store, when they were being produced, they weren't called snapbacks. They were called adjustables. So, you know, we sat down with Gene and said, look, we want to buy these snapbacks. Oh, adjustables. Yeah, I got tons of them. So he gets some of the guys there in the warehouse to start showing us around. And everything was set up in sections. So, like, um, this is a big-ass warehouse, okay? Like, High ceilings like this warehouse, like, you know, 25-foot ceilings, um, pallet racking, everything on pallets, everything, like, stacked up to the fucking ceiling. And I'm talking, Drew, you're going to plug in some pictures, right? Some yeah, whatever I can find, but there's yeah. not a lot. Some of these aisles you couldn't even walk through because it was such a mess. There was boxes, boxes falling down. Everywhere off of the pallet racking, you had to move stuff to even get in and get through. So they had NFL, they had NHL, they had NBA, MLB. But the NCAA. organization of it still was so bad. Like they probably had it uh, divided by league a bit, but, and we're talking, yeah, like 12, 15 foot high ceilings, pallet racking. No, dude, there were 20 foot ceilings, man. There were like yeah. three levels of pallet racking. And just so packed in there. Like, no idea. And nobody knew where anything was because at that point, most of that warehousing wasn't for anything that was considered like active stock. All that stock was literally considered like, this is dead to us. We're just like paying money to house it here. That's right. So we started going through it and we were pulling cases, guys. Okay. So if you want to know what a case is of snapbacks, how they were originally shipped, they were shipped 12 dozen, 144 per box. We were pulling cases down of, 
any particular hat. So you'd go, you find a Kate, you find a, you know, um, Cleveland Browns snapback cap. It's probably, you found a case. They weren't yeah. onesies. They weren't dozen boxes. They were fucking case boxes everywhere. Um, but then so there was also people. like, they also would put hats back by team in these mixed 12 packs. You remember? Yeah. So sometimes you'd open a 12 pack of hats and it would just be like all, yeah, like all Browns, but like all different Browns logos and styles. That's right. Mixed new and old sometimes. Yeah. Which was a real pain in the ass in later digs. Cause we started going through that more of that stuff later. Yeah. Initially we would go, we'd see those for the first couple digs there we would see those mixed dozens and be like, ah, just fucking put it to the side because we can get a case of it or full uh, sealed dozens, right, of certain styles that it was like, just take that, you know? Like, why, why are we going to dig through the mix, the onesies that have potentially picked up some dust along the way, been handled? You get the dozen that's clean. It's sealed in its original dozen box. And when you open that box, it's also in a poly bag that dozen. Yeah. So they're not touched. They haven't seen fresh air since they were boxed in the 90s. So as you can assume, we were kids in a fucking candy store. It was crazy. So we start going, we start pulling shit. And obviously, you know, we're pulling stuff. And then, you know, 30 minutes later, you're like, fuck, now I found a better one of like whatever team it was. You know, Dallas Cowboys. Like, oh shit, now I found like a better Dallas Cowboys hat. You pull that. So we ended up having to call our dig back at the end of it, the end of the first dig. At some point, Gene came out, Gramps, the owner, and was like, so what do you guys think? And I was like, yeah, this is fucking crazy. Although I didn't, don't think I said that to him. I was, what I was thinking, but I was like, yeah, this is great. You know, like lots of stuff here we can use. We want to buy this stuff. So he called me into his office and was like, hey, so what do you want to pay for these hats? And I said, three bucks a hat. There's full transparency here, guys. This is the Snapback Chronicles, so I'm not holding anything back, okay? I'm going to beep the shit out of this. I'm just going to be like, and uh, beep, 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 beep. No, no, we're, <laughs> we're, we're going full transparency. We're telling you the uncut, raw story here. This is straight from Columbia. This is the original, all right? This the is the uncut. Shit, the good shit. The good shit. So I told him, three bucks a hat. Cause kind of that's where I had started with other guys. Just, I don't know where I came up with that figure, but I've, I just came up with it. I said three bucks out. He said, done right away. Before I even fucking finish saying three bucks, he was like, you never done. know though. In that scenario, because sometimes you can, if you go in and offend somebody on a price, they could just kick you out. So you got to step lightly a little bit. Very true. But I could tell sense immediately from my um, entrepreneurial bloodline that I had thrown out a too high a price right off the bat. But it was, once I did it, it was done. So note, just a note to, you know, guys, to young entrepreneurs out there, old entrepreneurs, anybody trying to get in the biz, don't throw out a high price because you never know what somebody might be into the stuff for, or might want to get it out for. That said, what, Further to Drew's point, you don't want to offend people, but your first price is a starting point. You can always go up. And you can also, you know, it's also safe to ask them for their price. That's you know, right. Sure, some and people I are going to ask you. That. Yeah. 
I often do that. Actually, that's my preferred way to go into negotiations these days. What's your price? Um, but so you can always go up, but you can never go down. Once you throw out a price, you will never be able to negotiate down from that. It just doesn't happen. You've already and set like, the bar. Basically, it's the opposite when you're on the other end for selling. It's like you can't you can't come out and say have a price on say like a new retail item for fifty, and then the next week try to get seventy five. But you can go seventy five, and then the next week go fifty. Fifty. That's right. So you got to do the dance, guys. This is a little schmata of knowledge for all you guys. <laughs> You've been in the game. So. Anyway, so he said fine to three bucks. I felt good about it because there was so much stuff there. But at the same time, I... So anyways, let me jump forward. So we're digging this place. Me, Drew, Daniel, we're digging. We have these warehouse workers here that work for Gene helping us as yeah, well. We're, so we're like, we're like opening a box. Yo, this is sick. Hand it to the homeboy. He goes and puts it in our huge pile. Our pile's growing like fast. Like crazy. And yeah. then we're also asking guys like, yo, can you find out where, do you have any Miami Dolphins? Find out where they are. And so they come back. Oh, yo, Dolphins are over here. I found them. Or whatever. So we have guys helping us. We finally get to the NBA section, which funny enough was right outside the office, which we should have started with. But I know we didn't get, we didn't actually go to NBA till later. I think just because it seemed Well, we probably obvious. had the mentality, like, let's go to the back farthest That's corner. Right. It seemed thinking, too obvious. Looking, yeah, it's too obvious. It, it was like, why would you have the NBA right outside the office when there's this, like, crazy cavernous dark warehouse full of dead stuff in the back? You thought it would be buried in the back. But anyway, two twos is how it happened. Finally got to the NBA. And I distinctly remember, for all you script guys out there, because I know there's snapback people watching this, they had cases sealed, never opened a lot of NBA scripts. I was living in Toronto at the time, which is where I live now, but I had you know, later moved to Vancouver for a number of years. So I went right to the Toronto Raptors. I think I bought two or three cases, 144 each case, Toronto Raptors scripts, snapbacks, white crown, wool with the script. Which on today's market, I don't, I don't even know, but I'm guessing that's a $500 hat. I don't know. I remember a few years ago, handful of years ago, seeing them on eBay for 300 bucks. The joke about it is, is that I was wholesaling it for 1650 Canadian for a very long time. I wasn't doing it by the dozen, but I mixed some in, you know? Do you think that our original prices were even that high? Like, I bet you in the beginning it was probably twelve bucks to wholesale. We didn't even up it to sixteen fifty till like we had it running out of the Vancouver warehouse. It might have been, yeah. I don't like, know. I, I bet you, that's the thing. Like, I bet you we were wholesaling for twelve bucks a hat. And when you think about it, it's like three bucks a hat. There's nine bucks profit. You had to like ship it around, you know, and like all these other things. It wasn't like it wasn't like it was. It's a steal by today's standards. That three bucks a hat, but. For our business model back then, it was like a decent price. Yeah. So remember, guys, if you've seen the previous video, the first one, this is before anyone was discerning between script or splash or shark tooth or starter, you know, whatever. Yeah, shadows and shadows, all diamonds. The hat. Nobody was talking about that. There wasn't even a forum for people to talk about that yet. 
So it was just snapback hats. But me being a guy in the clothing business, I could tell the quality between a wool starter, I'm sorry, a wool sports specialty script. The quality was there. The crown stood up high. It was just a better hat. You knew that it cost more to make than a shitty lightweight twill cap, you know, with wonky embroidery. I wasn't trying to, you know, off them right quick, but, you know, we, we bought them. Anyways, that dig, I think we bought around 5,000 hats loosely, something like that. I remember that I spent the majority of my Rose Bowl money, maybe all of it, on that dig. And I also remember, Drew, I don't know if we've talked about, well, I'm sure we've talked about this at one point or another. That was your real first entry into it because you hadn't, prior to that, it was me, Daniel, Josh. Yeah, I hadn't been on any of the New York digs. And you were, I, I got like one shipment of hats from you from Toronto previously from like some New York digs when I, when I was living in the, um, the ha- well, I definitely had hats before, but that was my first dig. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I remember, so we, we put them all out on a table. We had to call it back. These guys started pulling them all out. Yeah, like we could have easily taken half a million in hats that first dig if we wanted to like not probably not even clean that place out. Like we could have gone that deep. Yeah, easily. If 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 we had the money for the first factor, second factor would have been like if we know, knew we, on this show we talk so much about like preempting trends, but you you know, this was we were early in business. Like now, if I found a dig, I have more money now, but also you know, I, I, I understand trends and how they work way more now than we did back then, because Absolutely. it's hard to, to, to foresee. It's scary as shit. You're like, I'm going in this deep on this product, but you know, it, it could get more popular or it could just die away. Like you didn't, we didn't even know it was, it was so early. So did you, I can't remember. Did you actually get hats shipped to you direct from that dig or did I take them all in Toronto? I don't remember. I, loose, I loosely remember a conversation there at the end of that dig when we had all the hats on the table and you and I kind of stepped outside and you're like, dude, are you fucking sure about this? And I was like, yeah, dude, like I'm just <laughs> sure about this. And I can't remember if I borrowed money from you from your, from like your Rose Bowl money. Yeah, or if you, I think I did. I think I was like, dude, God lend me like a few grand because it came to considerable amount of money for me at the time. You know, we're talking like 2006-ish. So, And the other factor too in this is like, um, you know, like it was still only hitting in like big urban centers. And like we couldn't, like we were buying from Pop Moons on eBay, but he was selling them for fucking dirt cheap. So like there wasn't money to be made on eBay with these hats at that point. No. You had to like... You had to get them to the right people or like have them in a pop-up or like some kind of scenario or a store, but it wasn't like you couldn't just slap. Instagram wasn't even fucking invented, dude. That's right. So I had only, my only track record for these was New York at this point. Yeah. Because I fucking pissed them out at 30, 40 bucks a hat or whatever it was, maybe some at 25, but if you're buying them at three bucks, you're taking 22 bucks home. You're yeah, laughing. Totally. It didn't scale to the internet yet because it wasn't the same back then. Yeah. Like- so, 
and then you look at like that, that pop-up, it's like, there's a, there's a huge cap on what you could have sold. Even at, if you're in New York for like a week, you yeah. know what I mean? You're not selling 500 hats a day or even 50 oh, hats a day. You're selling like 10 hats a day or something. Right. So that's a good point, Drew, because that's when the intuition kicked in. That was a gut feeling that was like, no man, this is fucking something. There's something here. And we yeah. found this, you know, like we found the mother load. I was just convinced, man. I, I, you know, you, me, Daniel, dug it out. You'll find picks. I have picks, so I'll, I'll send you some picks. You can put them in. Yeah, there's definitely some online. Some of the original tables with like thousands of hats. Yeah, there's some of like the, the the rows and everything. We'll throw those in. Yeah, yeah. You definitely got to give you credit for that. You had the intuition to go to go, and uh, you saw it more than anyone probably at that time. Anyway, so we did that dig. I actually. After we saw how much we picked, like when we had it all laid out and we had to start calling it back, I went into Gene's office and just fucking shot my shot, man. I was like, listen, I know I said three bucks, but I could take way more if you can give me a better price. And he was like, nope. So that's what I'm trying to say, guys. Case in point, you can't go down. Yeah. Um, I just didn't have the money. And even if it would have only worked on that first dig anyway, because we'll tell you how this fucking story plays out year over year, but it was, so yeah, more credit to you again for having the intuition on that. And like knowing what, what of a gold mine it was at the time. And one point I want to say is like, you know, this is still so early in the whole game. This is so early in the whole game. This is before social media. It's before like there was forums, like your Facebook group, the vintage snapback hat store or whatever it was, the original Facebook group was like probably one of the first Facebook groups for any kind of like vintage fuck. I would say it was before there was even a vintage group. It was, there was a snapback group on, on Facebook. Um, so even for like, when you look at our whole history on in the game, right? It was like for the first half of our life in snapbacks, right? Yeah. Starting with kind of where we're at right now in the story, we bought more than we were selling always. Oh yeah. At inventory. It, like the basement of, of my house at the time. Yeah. Was yeah. On Finch was a fucking little snapback warehouse, man. Yeah. So it was like, we, we were like, it's like we were in the accumulation of wealth phase of, of our life, which was like buy more than you're selling because we knew it was good. And and that early stage, we were like, uh, you know, I was fucking hesitant, but you were like, we're doing this. And then eventually we're like, we're, we're all like, okay, we're in, we're going and buying as much as we can. And we would bring in like pallets, even though we weren't moving them nearly as fast as we were getting them sometimes. And then on the, on the, on the other half, it was like, now these are fucking flying and then we couldn't find them anymore. That's right. Um, and then to today, I mean, we're that, like, like, you know, could, part of that true, that scenario was that I was living in Toronto and I was in a, in a, you know, hanging out in different cultural groups and like a lot of, with a lot of like people that were like very urban and urban influenced and, you know, going out to hip hop shows and doing stuff like that, where you were, doing your thing in, in Vancouver and Whistler and, yeah. you know, snowboarding. So it's just circumstance. It's just the way it went, you know, but. And yeah, that's, that's uh, how- and that's, you know, super good point. And that's totally true. Vancouver's was super sleepy on fashion. Uh, you know, even back to that day, like, okay. 
it's only been the last five years that any of these smaller cities have caught up in kind of fashion and what's going on in the world. And that is totally um, put to social fucking media because yeah. nobody knew what anyone was doing. If you were in New York, you only knew what people were doing in the clubs in New York, the shows in New York, how people in New York were dressing. Same for LA, same for Toronto. Now it's like, there's finally a scene in Vancouver, but it's only because people in Vancouver now know what, fucking people in New York are doing or Kanye's doing or whoever's doing it. And you know, that goes, to, and that's, that's a reason for the whole boom worldwide right now in the whole business. Absolutely. You and I were very privileged in those early years to be able to go to LA, you know, six, eight times a year. I was going to New York. I mean that again, that's like, would I have known it was such a big thing if I didn't go to New York? No, no. Yeah. I did a pop-up in New York. They flew. Really? I went out to Canal Street. I saw hawkers, like, selling them on the street. And even yeah. L.A. was behind New York for a LA long time. L.A. was way behind. Way behind. And I've said this before, but, yeah, going to L.A. all the time and you going to New York early on and then us both going to L.A. later was, like, hugely influential in the direction of our companies and everything we've done in fashion and vintage and just opening our eyes to what was happening in the world and on different levels and different scenes. Absolutely. And then later on going to Japan and then, you know, I go to London now, England, obviously not with COVID, but like for the last five years, I've been going to, to, to the UK and seeing what's going on in London. I mean, regardless of where you go, you know, you yeah, go to Berlin, matter. you go to Asia, you go to... Yeah. Australia and You're inspiration doesn't have to come from urban centers. You can, you could fucking go on like an, a, a trek through the Alps and like that can inspire you in different ways to take what you're doing in a different direction, but you just got to get inspired, but you'll, you'll get the influence and trends if you're going to these more populated areas. But I think yeah. taking a, you know, being able to travel more and getting a bit of a snapshot from different places gives you better perspective to then forecast what the heck's going on and where you can move one thing. And, and as entrepreneurs also gives you opportunities to go, Oh, well, you know, this style of shirt doesn't sell here. Like, you know, Ralph Lauren golf shirts and Lacoste golf shirts doesn't sell here, but it's very cool in the UK. Yeah. You know, and Europe, because it kind of has a different, um, provenance per se, you know, like back in the, in those places, back in the day, people were wearing those like rude boys were wearing those kind of yeah. things and whatever. So it's like, you get different ideas. Oh, well, Oh, I got a deal on this, but people aren't buying this in North America, but I know people will buy this in Australia or here or there. Right. So you gotta, and that's what dad used to do. Our dad, you know, he used to go, to Europe a few times a year and he would go to all over Europe, you know, from like anywhere from Russia to uh, the Netherlands to Germany, find weird military surplus, find weird vintage stuff like satin pajamas that he was buying out of, uh, out of, out of Netherlands. You know, he made that a thing. Yeah. And that, and that's what I mean. Like he didn't go there to, say, see the trend per se, he went there and like brought something back and made a trend of his own. And like, that's something kind of what I was saying about just doing something. It's like, you know, 
Ralph Lauren one year might go, we want African influence, right? We're going to send our designers to Africa to like really go deep and like take details from that just as an yeah. example. And, and, right. and just that is like inspiration in it, in its own way or Bali or like, uh, who knows whatever. It's just like getting something outside of what you know. And it's, it's also, it, it's taking that, but it's also opening your mind in different ways that might not be directly influenced, but just like allowing you to think differently. hundred percent. All right, let's get back to the snapbacks. Piss break. We've, we've now got all the hats on the table. You, you lowballed Gene and he said no. Lowballed Gene, he said no. My fault, because I should have lowballed him from the beginning. But anyways, <laughs> um, you know, he was cool. He sorted it out. Um, you know, we bought him for three bucks a hat. I think, we, like I said, I think we bought around 5,000 hats, give or take. A thousand, I don't know. Did and we... Uh, did we- put a bunch away and be like, we're going to come back for these or what? Some aside for sure. I think what we did was like a lot of the extras that we had to call back. We were like, we put those aside, you know, just stacked them in case they put aside. But I will say this again, what you were saying, like we were buying more than we were selling. Another misstep was that I didn't go back quick enough. Um, We didn't go back. Like, it's not like we went back the next time we were at the Rose Bowl. We didn't. No, it was probably like two Rose Bowls that we went back because A, money, B, I was sitting on a lot, right? Like I wasn't moving them as quick as I was getting them. And it's like I wasn't made of money at the time. I was like in my late 20s. Yeah, and that's another thing too. When you're, I mean, you're fucking young. It was like you're living check to check. You're not thinking about the future at all. You're not thinking. I wasn't. You're not thinking about the future. Looking back on it, it was like, I should have called Uncle Ricky, who, by the way, is a lawyer in Boston. If you need legal service, call Uncle Ricky. I should Google, have search, Ricky. Google search Uncle Ricky. Rick Heifetz. Google search him. He's a big time <laughs> yeah. lawyer. I should have called Uncle Ricky and, you know, pleaded my case and tried to get a loan for another, I don't know, bunch of money and tried to go back to Gene and buy out a shitload. But I didn't have, you know, I had foresight, but not that much foresight. And I also didn't have that much, you know, foresight into my own future, like setting my own self up. It was more like, you know, I'm just living, like I'm just living life. Yeah, I'm making money. I got money in my pocket. I go out to a nice dinner whenever I want, buy a plane ticket when I want, just living, right? And it's funny because when you look at our dad, Dave, which you guys all know, Dave, the Don, he would overbuy. So he was so on the other spectrum of that, that he bought so much and so like willy nilly and so not calculated sometimes. But he was also more the Corey Shapiro way of haggling. He was the lowball master. Yeah. So he would get it for dirt cheap, but there was times when he, he was sitting on like probably millions of dollars in inventory that was dead. Yeah. And then what he would also do is he would buy, and this is in the slide to you, dad. I love you so much. You've taught us a lot, but he would go to Europe and buy like 10,000 of this little friggin' French army utility bag for a nickel a bag. But then he'd end up spending just as much on storage because he'd only move, he wouldn't be able to move units, you know? And then he'd end up dumping them all later, not dumping in the garbage, but dumping them all for little to no profit. Yeah. Just to get out of it, you know? Anyway, so let's continue on with the story. So we bought the hats from Gene. 
at this point in time, I'm running into my next hurdle, which was like, he's like, where do you want him? Where do you want me to ship them to? Remember guys, we live in Canada. So we have something called customs, right? Like you can't just ship five thousand to Canada without declaring the value, having to deal with customs, textile declarations, so on and so forth. And I was not, you know, this is early on in my career and I was not very uh, learned in that area. Customs broker, what? Yeah, what? Textile declaration, what? Dad, what should I do? Ship them to my guy in Niagara Falls, New York. So he had a freight forwarder guy like, Way before, like, what is it called now? Like, click and ship, or you know that all the guys use these chit chats. Chit chat. Way before chit chats. This is the this is the first chit chats. The Don had the first chit chats, which was like a guy in subsequently in his old building on Military Road, which is the old Niagara Falls, New York airport, where Lockheed Martin is, and where the rag machine was. Um, he had a like a chit chats there, but like a bigger kind of like mom and pop chit chats where you could like do funky shit you didn't have to worry about it i organized to ship them to niagara falls new york and i was kind of like fuck it i'll worry about how i'm gonna get them over the border later so i secured the secure the package get it shipped (laughs) and then so they finally arrived so the chit chats guy niagara falls new york calls me he's like yeah i got this huge shipment here like this fucking couple pallets have a ride or how much however much it was so i went down to niagara falls new york in a truck Drove across the border in a in a like a rental or some truck or whatever, and drove back. Now, this is like a long ass time ago. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I just fucking wrote a fucking invoice to myself, basically from Eclipse Specialties to myself because I didn't. I don't even think I had like a proper invoice, like, or maybe I did a through email, but I didn't have it with me. So I like wrote a fucking invoice for like, you know, whatever cheap price per hat, blah, 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 close out, paid cash, blah, blah, blah. Drove across the border that night. And it was pretty late at night by the time I got there and got it all loaded and got back. Drove across Queenston Lewiston actually drew where we used to cross all the time. Yeah. And the customs over the river, over the river, the customs agent was like, what the fuck is this? Pull in. So I pull in to the Found commercial. the drugs. No drugs. <laughs> the only drugs were like the joint I probably smoked on the way before I even went across the border. By the way, we'll get into that stupidness later because we used to do some dumb shit. Across <laughs> the border. Some shit that would land you in some real heavy fucking water right now. Hot water. Anyways, drove, drove back. Pulled, they pulled me into commercial. I go in, must have been like the end of their shift or something. It was pretty, getting pretty late at night. The lady looked at it and she was like, called the other guy over. They look at it. They're like, what the fuck? Like, this isn't, we don't know what the fabric content is of any of this, where it was manufactured. These are all things, guys, that you need to kind of know when you're doing international shipments of textiles, hard goods, anything. But we've learned over the years that the whole system is fucked because there's there's classifications of used clothes where there's like we'll we'll get into that yeah. later Drew. but yeah we've we'll tell you guys we've had some legal we've actually won some lawsuits against u.s customs and border patrol hail canada hail the hyphens boys we've actually won 
lawsuits against U.S. Customs. You guys Board. surprised? We won lawsuits. <laughs> so basically, don't fuck with us. Don't come at us. Don't come at us, man. Trust me. There's a, there's a long line. Ba- so basically, they're asking you for all these fabric contents and shit, which is and I'm like, look, I don't know. I'm like, look, yeah, how I would you know? I told them straight up. I'm like, these are old ass hats from like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, and. I don't know what they are. I bought them off a guy when I was in LA. I don't know exactly what the story I told him was, but it was like, these are old. They're fucking close out. It's done. I paid him cash. I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. If you want to rip it apart, go for it. They were like, we don't want to even fucking touch this. They basically drafted something up. I think I paid like two or 300 bucks in GST on it. I don't think I paid any duty. I just paid tax. They gave me the thing, I paid it, and they looked me in the eye and said, don't ever try this shit again. So that was the only time I did that. After that, I had to do everything legit. But you did do that from the New York dig also. Yeah, but that was previous. Yeah, I know. So this is the second time they looked you in the eye and said, don't do this again. No, but no, no. <laughs> but actually, the New York dig, I actually- Did you say that same thing? Did I? I thought you said that they were like, yo, you can't just fucking roll over the border with a whole van full of shit. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Okay. That's (laughs) likely what happened. Yeah. So I've done it a few times. Okay. Guilty. But (laughs) I remember one time, because you know, New York, SNA shoes, I dug out a few times. And there was one time, the the later digs, they were actually UPSing it right to Canada. So I got in good with the the manager of the store. It wasn't... um, the owner, but the manager guy was like on the level. He, he, he knew how to do it, knew how to give me a good invoice for UPS. The Canadians out there listening to this shit will know the trials and tribulations yeah. of DBA doing business in Canada because it's yeah. fucking annoying. But you know, funny story about that. I remember one time coming back from New York with a load of shit from SNA and I gave the guy like a handwritten shit receipt. It was just like a fucking stupid little invoice. And he was like, okay, bye. Didn't even say like don't do this again. It was just like okay, yeah. later. Never know who you're gonna get. get. Yeah, depends who you get. So I got the shit back to Canada from Eclipse Specialties. My first real load of hats. Like, well, it wasn't my first real load because that same weekend, you know, the way the reason I found Eclipse was from doing that other dig. Yeah. So that weekend actually was a huge score. It was. Whatever we got from hats, et cetera, or that, that place in Encino that led us to jeans later that same weekend, then I got all of those hats from jeans. So I came up with a shitload of hats. And did, did we mention this yet? But Gene was selling to hats, et cetera. And they, they were acquaintances, right? They were. But she never told you about jeans. You found jeans by the drive-by, which we talked about in the last episode. Because she probably was like, I don't want to tell you about jeans. Hell no. She wanted to off all her hats. And I went back to her numerous times to go through that container, which I, you know, I mentioned in previous ones. Yeah. Previous episode. Funny thing, though, Jean definitely wasn't her only supplier because she had a lot of starter hats. And to my memory, I don't think we found any starter hats at Jean's. It was sports specialties. Logo sevens, headwear, or whatever it was called with the logo of the world wearing a hat. Yeah. You know, there was all kinds of different, uh, Drew Pearson, they had, they had a lot of different, like, make, like, brands, but I don't think we found starters, or if we did, we found very little. 
There must have been a starter, another starter distributor. Well, for future episodes, we'll get into that. I did find another starter that was in the Bay Area. uh, Sorry, another distributor in the Bay Area within a year or two of finding Eclipse. But at that point, it was locked off already, or like they didn't, re- they weren't responsive to me, which could have been where the starter hats were coming from. Um, but anyways, she didn't tell me about jeans. Jean didn't tell me about her. It was all by f- happen chance. So what year? We're still in like two seven, two eight. No, two we're like oh six oh seven ish. Yeah, six oh seven. Sorry about the dates, guys. It's hard to keep it all together, but it was definitely no. I think it was oh six. 2006, if, if I remember right. 2006, 2007. I think it was seven. I think it was seven. Did we have Whistler yet? No. We would have had Whistler. No, because we would have had Whistler pretty quick after that because Whistler was open early on of us selling at the bowl. Was it not? Yeah, but I, I remember that when we opened Whistler, I had all those hats. Yeah. So okay. it may have been like, Within spring, a few months, yeah. It may have been like winter, spring, 07-ish. Yeah. Sorry, okay. guys. Dates are, it's Canada, like so, legal pot, right? So the memory is a little bit hazy. So now we are at this point where we didn't go back to jeans for a couple months because we had a lot of hats and we were not selling enough hats to be like, we need to get them back there real fast. That's we right. probably also, we didn't have a ton of money because we're probably at this point, making like a couple grand a month each, like, or a few grand a month each after expenses. And that was good enough, but it wasn't enough to be like, we're going to invest in our 10 grand in snapbacks. No, not at all. When I got back to Canada with all those hats, I hit the ground running. Like I was already wholesaling vintage clothing to a lot of places. People know, had started to know me as like the urban vintage streetwear guy. That's like pushing this new thing because I had had a pop-up in Toronto I was fucking with a lot of retailers in Toronto wholesaling stuff. And, you know, I was doing a lot of like nightlife cultural things too. Around that time, I was commissioned by a, a nightclub in Toronto, the biggest nightclub, sorry, the biggest nightclub in Canada at the time. It was called Circa. It was in the old Sony Palladium at Richmond and Peter or whatever. It was, it was huge. It was like a three four-story club with like all these different massive rooms and they commissioned me to basically curate the hip-hop night on the Saturday. So it was presented by like Hoboken and Haberdashery at the time. So I was getting like like Team Canada DJs in there. I was getting like chaos, um, all kinds of live performances and like guest DJs and shit. I think we had, yeah, we had like all kinds of big celebrity DJs coming through and shit. And we were curating it. They were giving me like a um, like, uh, f- flat fee for every Saturday and then bottle service and like a booth for like me and my homies. So I was like doing a lot of nightlife shows and meeting a lot of people. Way, way more than I do now. I'm just a dad now. I don't really go out. So I was very... I remember I went to that night once when I came back to visit you. Yeah. And that club was fucking huge. That place was massive. And it had like... Escalators in the club. Three stories of escalators, dude. And it was like, there was so, there was so many different groups of people there because there'd be somebody, there'd be a group of people going to like the super techno spot. And then there was people going to the hip hop room. Techno night, the hip hop room. You know, there was all kinds of shit going on. It was like four or five clubs in one massive club. So 
because of that, I was, I knew so many people. I started to know all these different people from all these different walks of life and retailers, movers and shakers, artists, promoters, blah, blah, blah. I hit the ground running with these snapbacks when I came back. I put them in a drift, which was like one of Toronto's premier skate shops. So it was like skate slash bit of streetwear and shoes and, and skateboards and shit. They're still around. Uh, I think the guy's name is Mike. Shout out Mike. Adrift. I was wholesaling snapbacks there. So this is like a streetwear skate shop. They had no vintage except vintage snapbacks because it fit. So I started to, you know, it was like the wheels were turning. It was like, I'm not limited here to like necessarily a streetwear store or a vintage store. We can get into skate shops. We can get into streetwear shops. We can get into all kinds of doors. So I started, you know, soliciting all these places, calling places. So we had them in like Lavish and Squalor, Odyssey, Adrift. Then I started branching out and reaching out to other places that I knew. Like um, there was a streetwear store in Kitchener-Waterloo area that was carrying them. So I, I amassed like a handful of really good customers that were moving hats. So I eventually started to move through it quicker and quicker. And I started, it started to get like, started to get my footing, so to speak. You know what I mean? You know, we had more events come up past that, you know, after like the New York event. And so we're starting to move them through that. But then we opened F as a Frank Whistler, where we like had a whole hat wall. That's where we had our first big hat wall. You know, it started to become a thing at this point. Just trying to Do you remember like early on, like what celebrities were kind of helping it move forward? Really early on, there weren't a lot of celebrities. I mean, obviously, you could like you could name the the big ones that like pushed it later on, like Tyga with his snapback song, and you know Mac Miller and guys like that that were pushing it later on. Yeah, this was still before that, and it's it's funny. Like back then, it was still not cool for like urban or like hip hop celebrities to wear vintage. Wear vintage, no. It was all about brands. Um, yeah, designer. I will, I will say this, though. Summer 2007, so that would have been kind of in this timeline, Hieroglyphics came to Toronto. So the whole Hiero crew, you had Casual, Souls of Mischief, Dell wasn't there, um, but Pet Love was there. Um, pretty much the whole Hiero crew, except for Dell, was came for this big hieroglyphics tour and they had a a dj from the bay it wasn't domino but domino was also there but they had the guy who was like their tour dj was like this younger cat latin cat they came and i I can't remember it might have been Corey that put me in touch with them or someone else in toronto that put me in touch with them but i was a huge hiero fan still am to this day love hieroglyphics and through our kids like someone put me in touch with them we got in touch we communicated a bit and they were like, yo, we want to see like what you guys have. Like they understood it, you know, like they kind of like, you know, they're nineties guys from the early nineties. They, they grew up around it all. They understood it. Yeah. So this was back in the day. Okay. So actually there are people. And now that you asked that we're doing it now that, you know, takes a minute for me to jog my memory. But in those early days, I didn't really have a setup where like, 
necessarily guys could come. I had a little showroom in my basement, but it was a shitty, like, mildewy, damp, shitty, dark basement. It wasn't the type of place you wanted to bring people to, you know, especially celebrities. Um, although Drake came a bunch of times. Shout out, Drake. Shout out, Ollie. Which is actually our grandma's basement because Jesse moved into our grandma's house when she moved into my, into our, my mom's house. So That's right. Shout out, Grams. Love Shout you. Shout out, Grams. Miss you. So what I was doing in those first days, I would do hotel calls. When celebrities were in town, I would load up the van with like duffel bags or whatever it was. And we'd get the luggage trolley and we'd go to their hotel, fucking wheel in a whole little, you know, like display for them. So that's what we did with hieroglyphics. They were staying at a hotel downtown and showed up with a sick selection of snapbacks, plus tons of gear from SNA and other places that, uh, that I was buying from back then and like dead stock and shit. And then also vintage, whatever vintage shit that I had, right? Like cool vintage. So it was a mix of dead stock, vintage and snapbacks. And the Hyro guys bought a lot. They bought snapbacks. They bought those, um, Johnny Vital track suits that were like MCM ripoff. MCM, yeah. Um, the DJ actually wore a red and white track suit, Johnny Vital that night at the Toronto show. And I went to it with Julia, Hozak, Marcheski, Missy Brother. We all went to the show. I have pictures of that. I'll send you. So just remind me. So you can okay. see some of the pictures. You can see Homeboy wearing the JV suit. So that like, so there was like little tidbits. Um, another one, Steve Aoki, big DJ back then. Yeah. He, I did a hotel show with him when he was staying in Toronto doing some DJing gigs. Um, and isn't Steve Aoki now like the highest paid DJ of all time? Could be. Dude, he's like, yeah. DJ AM, rest in peace. Yeah. DJ AM came to grandma's basement. That's through Corey too. That was through Corey. And Corey was there. Cause that was, um, that was like a weekend that Corey came up. AM was in town with team Canada. They came, they bought a bunch of shit. And then I had a big barbecue at the, in the backyard, a bunch of people came, whatever. But yeah, there was, there was some guys that kind of understood it. It was more from like a sneaker angle and like people that were like into the vintage sneaker game because sneakers were more established as a collectible commodity before the clothing and the hats. Right. Yeah, totally. So that was the gateway for a lot of people like AM. He was a big sneaker fiend. Right. But he understood it. So he was like, Oh, you have the gear. Oh, let me get some clothes. So yeah. So hit the ground running. Did, uh, was wholesaling like crazy. I think I tried to put some online. They were really slow to move online. And mind you, my only outlet was eBay at the time. So my competition was steep because you had guys like pop moons and other guys selling them for cheap. So why would they buy a one hat off me? Yeah. But one thing it's, it's important to note that like, you know, even early as that, like that was the only online source to sell stuff, but then it's, it's the same now. It's like, that doesn't dictate the price because obviously in the right scenario in a skate shop and a pop-up, you're able to sell these hats for great money when they would just sit there online. It's, it's circumstantial. It's merchandising. It's a whole different thing. Yeah. There's a lot of components to it. So yeah, that was like, that was the first major haul. We ended up going back to Gramps, you know, I think 
two Rose Bowls later. And then we continue to go to Grammys. I don't know how the story is going to go because there's a lot of segues totally. to Eclipse specialties. They ended up putting us on, they had a bunch of retail stores as well. One in downtown Los Angeles in the wholesale area. They had one right in Pasadena in the walking mall. Yep. You know, which we ended up going to all those stores and buying what, what we liked out of there. But we ended up going back to the warehouse many, many, many times and oh, yeah. restocking, re-upping. Probably for like a period of like six, seven years, we would go back there. Yeah. Even as far as, so this is how far our influence went. Within a, a couple years of that first buy at Eclipse Specialties, they had reached out through their network because they've been in the business forever and got a licensing deal with the NHL. And they started to produce their own snapbacks. Yeah, that's like the retros that they were, they the were making. And we sold those for a period of time because there was, once the snapbacks got so hot, they were like kids, some, you know, kids would be happy just to sell the retros versus the real at a point. Absolutely. And also some kids didn't want to spend 80 bucks on a hat at that point. They wanted to buy a hat for 25 bucks. And then there are certain hats that you just couldn't find anymore. Right. Like, yeah. Good luck finding like a really great New Jersey devils snapback. Right. But they were producing, them. you know, I don't want to take all the credit for that, but I know we were definitely influential in them seeing the, the scope or the possibilities in that realm of headwear. A hundred percent. So basically We'll just, we'll, we'll kind of tailor this down and get into some segues, but obviously that first dig opened their fucking eyes and it, we went back so many times and other people started going there around the same, just after us or just before us around the same time. Shout out Kirk and still, I know you guys were there shortly after we were. Yeah. And, and And then it just went and that, and that, you know, he started, he started finding snapbacks to sell us and sell those guys, which was coming from all his old dis- distribution which, channels. Cause which, he wasn't just a store. He was a distributor. He was a distributor. Yeah. He was the distributor. So I think on our second or third trip to see Gene, I sat down with him in the office and I propositioned him with an offer to go through his files of his, you know, the people that he supplied. Yeah. Because I knew that was a gold mine. I knew that he had supplied every fucking store from the Midwest, even maybe the East Coast, from the Midwest all the way to LA. And he knew every little mom and pop sports shop that was either apparel, footwear, anyone selling snapbacks, he knew them. And at that point in time, I was also really keen on the clothing. I hadn't like flipped right over to hats. I was still looking for clothes. So I wanted to like find those stores because I wanted to like, oh, you sold to this little fucking mom and pop store in Fresno. Are they still around? Yeah, they're still around. Oh, shit. I got to get up there and see if they have starter jackets, see if they have cross colors, see if they have this or that. Yeah. So I sat him down and, and I propositioned that to him. And right away, he was like, no, nope, no way. And so funny enough, a few years later, I'm digging in D.C., Washington, D.C., and I find a guy who's got like some sick hats, but not huge quantity. And I'm finding like ones and twos and half a dozen here and da da da. And Daniel's with me. And I'm like, bro, do you have any more of these Chicago Bulls hats? And he's like, nah, I sold them back to my distributor. 
And I'm like, Gene? He's like, yeah. And so Gene was keen, man. Gene was fucking keen. He already had started to hit up all his old clients and started buying back the hats. And we'll get into another story, Drew, about Steve Levine in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. And how we pissed Gene off by finding Steve Levine and going there and buying all of his Boston Celtics script hats amongst yeah. many other hats. And then we went back to Gene after that. And he's like, ah, I heard you were in Texas. I heard you saw Steve. It's funny. Lots of stories, guys. Love you. Yeah, so this is going to go in many different webs. we got lots of different digs to talk about, lots of people to bring on the show. We're going to get Pop Moons on here. We're going to yep. get um, Nick, who took us to a dig in, in Oakland. Yeah. He's coming Sam on the Fran. show. And San Fran. And we're going to keep going. There's lots more to talk about. See you guys soon.